You doing okay this morning? Okay, you need to smile and turn to your neighbor and say, I'm doing okay. Are you okay? You just kind of do the I'm okay, I'm okay, you okay thing. All right. Now, open your Bibles. Open your Bibles to Job 40 through 41. We're going to look at Job 40 through 41. One of the most mysterious, unique portions of the Bible and certainly the climax of the book of Job. And as we get into that, I want to ask you this question. I want you to discuss it there at your table. What is your greatest fear in life? What is your greatest fear in life? What monster frequents your nightmares? When you have nightmares, what is it about? Now, you might not want to tell all of them, but find something, okay, that you can discuss. What evil lurks beneath your anxiety? So, what are some things you can talk about? As a kid, what were you most afraid of? What monster really scared you? What what did you always think was in that closet or under your bed? And as an adult, what are you most afraid of? As a spouse, as a parent, did those things change? And then as a Christ follower, what are you afraid of? So take any one of those and just talk a little bit about fears, anxieties, and monsters. So go for it. All right. So, how'd you do? How'd you do? What are some What are some fears? What are What What were you most afraid of as a kid? Heights. Okay. What else? You still are. Okay. What else? What monster? What was there a particular monster you were afraid of? Do what? Oh, flying monkeys from the Wizard of Oz. How many were? Yeah, that's a good one. That That is like a universal one. Yeah, my. Uh, my dear daughter uh, got exposed to Wizard of Oz at a too early of age, and to this day, the it's really the Green Witch and the whole flying, the whole the whole concept there. Yeah, how many people were concerned about flying monkeys? All right, there you go. All right, well maybe that's going to be the thing that we're going to be using as illustration. But uh, you know, and some things are more more serious. Uh, I know uh, some of you fear of death was very real, not letting you sleep, nightmares, fear of dying. And sadly, sometimes our monsters are actually the people in our family uh, and growing up, maybe a fear of a parent who was abusive. And so these are real fears 
and, uh, and they change through life. And even as a Christ follower, we can be afraid. And so here in, in Job chapter 40, we're looking at God's second interrogation of Job. And this is kind of the climax of the book. And if you look in your notes, there's a chart there that just kind of gives you this overview of this most important section of the book of Job. And God's interrogating Job out of the whirlwind. So please remember, Job is sitting on the ash heap of despair, and God comes to him in a tornado, in a revelation of really wrath and judgment, and yet he speaks graciously to Job, and he has a gracious purpose for doing it. Notice we studied the first interrogation, and God basically asked, here's how I summarized it for you, are you wise enough to create the wonders of creation and care for the wildness of creation. If, if you're that wise, and if you're that compassionate, then okay, you can judge what I'm doing. But if you're not, then you need to be silent. And Job's first answer was, he says something about who he, who he is, and he remains silent, and he says, look, I'm small and in awe. You're, you are large and in charge. I am small and in awe. I'm done questioning you. I'm done talking. But God, we saw last week, is gracious to continue. And he does his final interrogation here in Job 40. And basically what he's going to ask him is, are you powerful enough to control and conquer these two monsters, Behemoth and Leviathan? And you're like, what in the world is that? Well, that's what this lesson is about. And then you're asking, not only what are they, but what does it have to do with my life? Well, we're going to find out that these two monsters have a lot to do with what you fear, with what you're anxious about, and what is your greatest fear or your worst nightmare. And so in this second speech, God is going to ask Job not a question about who Job is, but a question, who do you think I am? And uh, and just kind of to divide it up, I gave you a little outline there. Last week we we saw that God basically said to Job, Job, you be the judge. Are you powerful enough to execute justice better than me? And he basically said, Job, be Judge Job, not Judge Judy. Be Judge Job for a day. And he begins in verse 8. And here's what he says to him in chapter 40. Will you annul my judgment? Will you condemn me that you may be justified? You be judge for a day. And then he says in verse 9, Or do you have an arm like God? Can you thunder with a voice like his? Adorn yourself with eminence and dignity and clothe yourself with honor and majesty. In other words, put on your royal, glorious, splendorous judge's robe and then execute judgment. Look at verse 11. Pour out the overflowings of your anger. Look on everyone who is proud and just make them low with a look. Look on everyone who is proud and humble him and tread down the wicked where they stand. Hide them in the dust together bind them in the hidden place, then I will also confess that your own right hand can save you, that you're as good as I am, that you're as great as I am, and that you don't need to trust me. You can just do it on your own. But then we come to today's message, and God's going to say, and here's how I'm summarizing it, Job, you do the math. Now, when someone tells you to do the math, what are they telling you to do? You ever heard that phrase, do the math? 
Figure out for yourself. Add it up, reason it through, and see that what I'm telling you is right. And that's what he's doing here. He's saying, do the math. Are you powerful enough to control and conquer your greatest fears? And that's a good question for all of us to ask right now. Are you and I powerful enough to control and conquer my greatest fears, my worst nightmares, which some of you perhaps are even going through right now? Or you fear that you're about to go through it. And here's how he does it. He says to Job, you do the math. Consider capturing behemoth. Look at verse 15. Behold now behemoth, which I made as well as you. He eats grass like an ox. Behold now, look, Job, consider his strength in his loins and his power in the muscles of his belly. He bends his tail like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are tubes of bronze. His limbs are like the bars of iron. He is the first of the ways of God. Let his maker bring near his sword. Surely the mountains bring him food and all the beasts of the field play there. Under the lotus plants, he lies down in the covert of the reeds and in the marsh. The lotus plants cover him with shade. The willows of the brook surround him. If a river rages, he's not alarmed. He is confident, though the Jordan rushes to his mouth. And then here's the one question. So he's, he's described this behemoth, this, this mighty beast. And then he says, can anyone capture him when he is on watch with barbs? Can anyone pierce his nose? But then, after saying, hey, consider capturing Behemoth, he says, try taming Leviathan. And look at chapter 41, verse 1. He switches to this new monster. Can you draw out Leviathan with a fish hook? Or press down his tongue with a cord? That was a way of catching a, uh, a, a, an aquatic animal. Can you put a rope in his nose or pierce his jaw with a hook? Will he make many supplications to you? Or will he speak to you with soft words? Will he make a covenant with you? Will you take him for a servant forever? Will you play with him as with a bird? Or will you bind him for your maidens? In other words, will you make a pet of him for your little kids? Will the traders bargain over him? Will they divide him among the merchants? In other words, can you capture him and sell him for a profit? Can you fill his skin with harpoons or his head with fishing spears? Lay your hand on him, Job, and remember the battle. You will not do it again. Don't, can't you hear your parents talking to you? Just try that once, young man, and you'll never do that again. I promise you. Okay, this is, and when you say that, you may be a little ticked with your kid, but you're being gracious and you're trying to warn them, don't do what you're about to do. And then he says, behold, your expectation is false. Will you be laid low even at the sight of him? You're, if, if you just got a full look at him, you'd freak. No one is so fierce that he dares to arouse him. Who then is he that can stand before me? Who has given to me, that is God, that I should repay him? Whoever is, whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. I will not keep silent concerning his limbs or his mighty strength or his orderly frame. Who can strip off his outer armor? Who can strip, who can come within his double mail? Who can open the doors of his face around his teeth? There is terror 
His strong scales are his pride, shut up as with a tight seal. One is so near to another that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another. They clasp each other and cannot be separated. His, his scales, his armor is tight. His sneezes flash forth with light, and his eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. Out of his mouth go burning torches. Sparks of fire leap forth. Out of his nostrils smoke goes forth as from a boiling pot in burning rushes. His breath kindles coals, and flame goes forth from his mouth. His neck lodges strength, and dismay leaps before him. The folds of his flesh are joined together, firm on him and immovable. His heart is as hard as a stone, and even as hard as a lower millstone. When he raises up himself, the mighty fear, because of the crashing, they are bewildered. The sword that reaches him cannot avail nor the spear, the dart, or the javelin. Four major weapons for killing monstrous beasts are useless before him. He regards iron as straw, bronze, that's just rotten wood. The arrow cannot make him flee. Sling stones are turned into stubble for him. Clubs are regarded as stubble. He laughs at the rattling of the javelin. His underparts are like sharp pot herds. They're sharp. He spreads out like a threshing sledge on the mire. He makes a deep path in the mud. He makes the depths boil like, boil like a pot. He makes the sea like a jar of ointment. He shakes it and makes it foam. Behind him, he makes a wake to shine. One would think the deep to be gray-haired. Nothing on earth is like him. One made without fear. He looks on everything that is high, and here's a key phrase, the last phrase. He is king over all the sons of pride. Wow, what are we talking about? Well, here's how I'm going to present this to you. Basically, God is saying to Job, Job, you do the math, you reason it out. Are Are you really trying to tell me, Job, that... You are greater than me. Because that's basically what Job, that's what God's accused. Are you saying you're greater than me? That you have greater wisdom, greater power, greater strength, better judgment? That basically you could tell me how to run your life and how to run the universe. Are you really saying that? So what he says is, let's do a little monster math. Okay, let's do a little monster math. And let's say this. If behemoth and I'm just going to shorten that, Behemoth and Leviathan are basically are equal to monsters. They are monsters that cause, that are man's worst nightmare, okay? He just described in Job's day man's worst nightmare, all right? I don't know what yours are, but for, for God to Job, he's saying, look, these are monsters, these are man's worse nightmare. Job, if you're really greater, wiser than me, then this means, Job, you should be greater and wiser than Behemoth plus Leviathan. Are you greater than these? Because if you're not, if you're not greater than your worst nightmare, then you're not greater than me. Do you see the understanding? Do you see the idea? He's arguing from Lesser to greater. Basically, he's saying this. If you can't conquer 
your worst nightmares of behemoth and Leviathan, then what makes you think that you are wiser, stronger, and better than me in managing your life? Uh, Before you say to yourself that you are greater than me, Job, are you greater than Leviathan and behemoth? Does that make sense? Somebody say yes. All right. You see that? So if you're going to be greater than me, then Job, you need to be greater than behemoth and Leviathan. So let's do a little monster math. So let's look at it. What I want to teach you today, or at least get started to, is monster math teaches us three facts about facing our greatest fears. Okay, your greatest fear in life may not be uh, capturing behemoth, it may not be taming Leviathan, but we talked a little bit about what your greatest fear is. Now plug it in. Okay? So let's take a look at it. First of all, monster math is simple. This is simple math. Monster math is simple, but it's perplexing. Now, monster math is simple enough to understand because it comes down to this. If behemoth plus Leviathan is greater... Well, let me put it this way. Let me put it this way. Behemoth... It's so simple, I don't understand. Behemoth plus Leviathan is greater than Job. This is what God's saying. Behemoth plus Leviathan is greater than Job, but Behemoth plus Leviathan is less than God. That's simple to understand. Simple to understand. So, if Behemoth plus Leviathan is greater than Job, but Behemoth plus Leviathan is less than God, then that means Job is what? Oh, I told you it was simple. Okay? Makes sense? Pretty simple. Now... The, pro- the perplexing part is, what in the world is behemoth and Leviathan? Okay, that's the perplexing part. So let's, let's, let's dive in, and uh, we've got a lot, of, a lot of detail here because there's a lot of controversy. So let's look at it. Behemoth is not translated into English here in Job. Behemoth is really the Hebrew word that's being tra- uh, taken over into English. You always know you have a hard thing to translate when they don't translate it, okay? When they don't translate it, that means people are perplexed about what does it mean. And so that's why we got to do a little work on it today. But elsewhere, this word in the plural translates beasts and cattle. But here in Job, it means this. And this is what you want to write down. It means the ultimate beast. It means the super beast. You could say it is the mega monster. I don't care how you write it down. It's the ultimate beast, the super beast, the mega monster. I like mega monster. It's just like the ultimate beast. What's interesting is here in Job, and I don't want to get too detailed on this, but it it explains why we're translating it this way. It's the plural word for beasts, cattle, land animals. And it's in the feminine plural here in Job, but all the verbs are masculine singular. And that's probably too much for you Sunday morning, I understand that. But the point is this, he's using the plural to say, take all the beasts in the world and this is the big beast. This is the super beast, the mega monster. It's specific enough that Job knew what God was talking about. But it's general enough that you can fill it in for whatever you're afraid of. 
Make sense? What is your behemoth? What is the beast that haunts your nightmare? What is that mega monster that is making you so anxious right now? What is that fear that is keeping you up at night and consuming your thoughts? In Job 40.15, God is saying, Behold the beast which I made as well as you. Now, I'm getting ahead of myself. Here's the good news. Whatever your mega monster is, whatever your super beast is, it's something that God created. It's something that God has control of. Okay, so that's behemoth, the mega monster, the super... That's, that's just what the word means. Now, what about Leviathan? What does it mean? It means coiling or wrapping around and has a variety of meaning, meanings in the Bible. And here's what I want you to see about behemoth and Leviathan. Though both are mentioned, I want you to see that behemoth only gets 10 verses and Leviathan gets a whole chapter that has how many verses in it? I mean, 34, okay? 34. And behemoth is really only mentioned as the mega monster once here in Job, whereas Leviathan is mentioned five other times in Scripture, as well as is mentioned outside of Scripture. So what am I saying about this? The mega monster we really need to focus on is not so much behemoth, it's what is Leviathan. Okay, just throwing you out, that's just kind of hard facts. Now, what does this all mean? What is behemoth and Leviathan? Well, there's three options. The first option is some people think they are uh, monster animals, Mo just simply monster animals. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, let's look and see. Some people think they are monster animals. Some say that behemoth and Leviathan are just animals, monster animals, still just ordinary animals in God's zoo, just like the ten animals that were described in the first time he spoke to Job. Remember a couple weeks ago we talked about the first animals, and there was like ten of them. Lions, uh, mountain goats, deer, wild donkey, wild ox, ostrich, horse, hawk, eagle, and behemoth and Leviathan, ordinary animals. Well, what ordinary animals? Well, first of all, let me say, how many of you watch Animal Planet and have seen or heard about the, 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 the movie River Monsters or the cable show River Monsters? Well, listen to how it's described. Uh, hosted by biologist and extreme angler Jeremy Wade, Animal Planet's River Monsters give viewers a close-up look at legendary freshwater beasts, behemoths, that lurk in murky waters or lotus plants Across the globe, each week, Wade navigates a different waterway in search of the legendary man-eating aquatic creatures that fill local folklore. In other words, that people are afraid of and make fantastic stories about. At each location, he uses first-hand accounts from witnesses in his own observations to debunk the myths and find out why the deadly species attack humans in the first place. I just use that to show you that in our own shows about ordinary animals, we can make them into mega monsters, river monsters. So what monster animals are behemoth and leviathan? Well, most see behemoth as the mighty hippo. The mighty hippo is behemoth. And others see the fearsome uh, leviathan as the fearsome crocodile. Okay? And if you read through those descriptions, you can kind of see that, can't you? 
a little bit. You can kind of see that. Um, but there's some, some descriptions that don't fit here. For instance, if Behemoth is the hippo, look at verse 16, chapter 40, verse 16. If Behemoth is the hippo, notice what it says, Behold now his strength uh, uh, is in his loins and in the muscles of his belly. He bends his tail like a cedar. You ever seen a hippo tail? Doesn't look like a cedar to me. Now, the, the, because this is poetry and it's very old Hebrew and, and we're not always sure exactly what's referred to, some say, well, the tail here, his erect tail and his two thighs that are described are actually referring to the male reproductive organs of the hippo. I will not go any further into that description on this Sunday morning, but all I'm saying is there is some people would say, yeah, it's not really talking about his tail, it's talking about something else, and therefore it's very fitting for that. This is a very strong, viral, powerful hippo. Okay. Now, what about Leviathan? There's parts of him that don't fit. Uh, crocodile? Look at 41 verse 18. Look at 41, beginning in verse 18. He sneezes, flash flash forth light, and his eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. Out of his mouth go burning torches, his nostrils smoke, and his breath. It sounds like what, what sounds like being described there? A fire-breathing dragon. (coughs) And yet, people who would say these are just the hippo and the crocodile, there's actually descriptions both back in ancient times, Bible times, and actually like in the 1800s of naturalists that watch crocodiles in the wild and they do come up from air and they blow their, they sneeze, they blow out the air from coming up and in the light of the morning it glistens in the sun and and there's actually descriptions of crocodile in the 1800s that sound just like what we just read, okay? Well, Okay, so there's some so here's reasons why. Look in your notes. Reasons why behemoth and leviathan are least monster animals. I think they really it really is referring to a hippo and a crocodile. And here's some reasons why. There are ten other ordinary animals that have already been described. But here's the thing. God stops. Job responds with silence. Now God talks about these two other animals, totally separate as though they're in a different category, and this time Job repents. So he sees something in these animals that he doesn't see in the other animals. Secondly, God says he created Behemoth just like he created Job. That was in 4015. Also, uh, number three, both Behemoth and Leviathan are referred to as real animals elsewhere in the Bible. For instance, in Genesis 2.20, uh, the Bible says that God formed every beast of the field, and it's the same Hebrew word, behemoth, okay? And Psalm 104, 26 says this about Leviathan. There the ships move along, talking about the sea, there the ships move along, and Leviathan, which you formed to sport in it, to play in it. So it sounds like whatever Leviathan is, it's a sea creature that God created to play in the ocean. Ordinary animal, okay? And then finally, both descriptions fit very poetical descriptions of these mighty land animals. Now, while I think they're animals, notice in your notes, reasons why behemoth and leviathan are probably more than monster animals. Well, first of all, 
because ten ordinary animals cause Job to be silent, but these two creatures will cause Job to repent and say, God can do anything. In other words, I find it very unlikely that God said, Job, look at the hippo. And God said, I repent. You can make a hippo. I can't make a hippo. You can make a hippo. Hippos are scary. I repent. You're right. You know know what I'm saying? It's kind of weird to look at a hippo and a crocodile and get the response that you got from Job. Number two, the description of Leviathan seems to go beyond that of a crocodile, and it's used elsewhere in Job and the Bible for more than just an ordinary animal. So I've already read Job 41, 18 through 21. That's, even though crocodiles may blow water and sun may hit it, something's going on here a little more than a crocodile. Would you agree? But look at verse 30, look at Job 41, 33 through 34. Job 41, the very last thing that Job says about Leviathan is this. Nothing, nothing on earth is like him. One made, yeah, it's created, but he's made without fear. He doesn't fear anything on earth. He's greater than everything on earth. This doesn't seem like that's the crocodile, does it? And then look at verse 34. He looks on everything that is high. He is king over all the sons of pride. Now, those of you that have a, a greater, uh, uh, you, you, you've read a lot of the Bible, who does that sound like? It sounds like the devil. It sounds like Isaiah's description of the fall of the devil. Who is the king of the sons of pride? So I think we've got something more than just animals. So that leads to the second option. Some people say we're looking at mythological mythological gods. Okay? In other words, it's not just an animal. It's some sort of supernatural being of some sort. Now, why would Behemoth and Leviathan might also refer to mythological gods? Well, I've given you three reasons. Number one, it's common in the Bible and other ancient cultures to create idols out of mighty monsters that God created and worshiped the power of these fearsome creatures as false gods. In fact, I gave you two pictures right out of Egyptian false worship where the first one is a, a hippo, a female hippo god, a, a pregnant woman's body with a hippo head. Okay, and they also had a male body with a male hippo head. That other picture is a picture of a crocodile god with a male body and a crocodile head. In other words, both of these animals were behemoth and leviathan, or hippos and crocodiles, were both worshipped and seen as gods with powers. They worshipped the crocodile. But in Psalm, turn to Psalm 74. The Bible also looks at leviathan as if it is a powerful supernatural being. Look at Psalm 74, verses 13 and 14. In Psalm 74, which you've already read if you did the summer in the Psalms, the psalmist is talking about the defeat of Egypt, no less, in the, in the, in the crossing of the Red Sea. And remember in the crossing of the Red Sea, what did Pharaoh and his armies do? They tried to destroy Israel and they came into the the dry land, and then God brought the waters and destroyed the powers and the armies of Egypt. Listen to verses 13 and 14. 
You divided the sea by your strength, referring to God. You broke the heads of the sea monsters in the waters. You crushed the heads of Leviathan. You gave him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. If Leviathan is just a cro- it's not just a crocodile there. It's a seven, it's a many-headed, seven-headed sea monster who represents the armies of Pharaoh. And I would say to you it represents the devil who is behind those armies. All right? So getting weird, I know it's weird, but it's right there in the Bible and it expects us to understand that. Um Second thing is, Job has already referred to Leviathan as a mythological god in chapter 3. Now, turn back to chapter 3, verse 8. Here we are with God's final words to Job, and now we're going to look at God's first, uh, Job's first words in the book. And look at Job 3.8. I promise you in Job 3.8, God is not talking about a hippo. Notice what he says. Let let those curse it who curse the day, that is the day of my birth, who are prepared to rouse Leviathan. Let the stars of its twilight be darkened. Let it wait for light, but have none. Neither let it see the breaking dawn. What's going on there? He's referring to the mythological god Leviathan, who was this, this, this god, this false god, who people believed could swallow the sun. In other words, they would see an eclipse lunar eclipse, solar eclipse, and they would try to figure out who's powerful enough to turn the sun off and on. And they would say, oh, that's Leviathan. He's a mighty God who swallows the light. And what Job is saying is, look, I wish I had never been born. Let those people that can call forth Leviathan, I wish he'd swallow up the day I was born and make it disappear. So what am I saying? I'm simply saying that to say that God is merely referring to a crocodile is not consistent with other uses of the word in Job, okay? He's probably referring to demonic powers or greater mythological powers. Um, uh, There's just more here. Uh, In Job, at least two times, yeah, two times in Job, uh, another false god is is mentioned called Rahab. And without going into all that detail, there are scholars that say Rahab and Leviathan are the same. All I'm saying is this. Throughout the book of Job, these false gods are referred to, and they're not merely just animals. Okay? Now, I'll make make sense of that here in a minute. There's a third option. These are metaphors for evil. Metaphors for evil. Why why are these monsters so perplexing? Because we're not sure what they are. Are they monster animals? Are they mythological, mythological gods? Or are they metaphors for demonic evil? Let me show you reasons why Behemoth and Leviathan are probably metaphors for ultimate evil. In the Bible, Leviathan eventually becomes a symbol for the devil himself. That's what I want you to see. Okay, if you don't understand any of it, you just like, oh, this is all confusing. I understand. It is confusing. It's perplexing. But it's in the Bible. So we've got to struggle with it. Here's the bottom line. 
ultimately, Leviathan, the seven-headed dragon, becomes a symbol for who? The devil himself. Now, I do want to show you this. Turn to Isaiah 27.1. Isaiah 27.1. Turn to Isaiah 27.1. Now, as you're turning there, what have we seen? We've looked at Leviathan, and we've seen him described seemingly like an ordinary crocodile. We've seen Leviathan be referred to as the nation of Egypt as it sought to conquer God's people. Now we're going to take it another level. Look at Isaiah 21. The prophet Isaiah, under inspiration, says this, In that day, the Lord will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, with his fierce and great and mighty sword. Remember, back in Job God said, my sword will come again against this great animal, but your sword won't have any effect on him. Even Leviathan, the twisted serpent, which Leviathan means coiled, wrapped, twisted, and he will kill the dragon who lives in the sea. In that day, what day? The last day. Okay, so let's look at that. Turn to Revelation 12. Revelation 12, 3, and four, three through 4. In the last book of the Bible, that last day, the slaughter of Leviathan by the sword of the Lord is predicted. Look at Revelation 12, 3 through 4. So look in your Bibles. Revelation 12, 3 through 4. Then another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads were seven diadems, seven crowns. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood (coughs) before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. Okay, who's the woman? Nation of Israel. Who's the child? The Messiah, Jesus Christ. Who's the dragon? The devil. But who tried to kill Jesus when he was born? Herod, who was the represented what? The Roman Empire. So here you have this connection that back in Psalm 74, the dragon represents the nation of Egypt trying to kill the nation of Israel. Now we have, in Revelation, we have both when Jesus was born, you have the nation of Rome trying to kill the Christ child. But this is also a prediction of the future when the Antichrist and the ten-nation empire will try to kill Israel as well as Christians in the future. But ultimately, who's the dragon? We'll keep reading. Look at 7 through 11. Revelation 12, 7 through 11. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. The dragon and his angels waged war, and they were not strong enough. And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. Who is he? Who is he? The serpent of old, who is called the devil and Satan. By the way, devil means accuser, 
Satan means adversary. Who did we look at in the beginning of Job? The accuser. He's called the adversary. And what does the adversary do in the book of Job, chapters 1 and 2? He accuses. And who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. He who accuses them before our God day and night. Exactly what happened in Job chapter 1 and 2. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. They did not love their life even when faced with death. What is Job faced with? He is faced with death and he is persevering by his, his testimony and his faith in his God. Wow. So here's what I'm saying. Number two. Behind the monstrous animals, crocodile and hippo, behind the mythological false gods, Egyptian, Canaanite, or otherwise, and behind the evil metaphors of seven-headed dragons and sea monsters, stands the pride of the devil and his power over death and destruction. Go to Hebrews 2.14. I guess we're only going to make the first point. Go to Hebrews 2.14. Ultimately, to understand Behemoth, you've got to understand Leviathan, because Leviathan is the one that's explained throughout Scripture. Okay, and Leviathan is the one that Job, uh, that the Book of Job gives thirty-four verses to, and it's the one that's mentioned elsewhere. So, if we can figure out what Leviathan is, then probably Behemoth is related to it. Listen to Hebrews two fourteen. Therefore. Since the children share in flesh and blood, that is, God's people are flesh and blood humans, Jesus, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Here's what I'm trying to say. I gave you a chart. There's, there's your option. If you don't like what I'm saying, you pick your option based on your study of what the Scriptures say. But here you got the creature, behemoth and leviathan. You have the literal meaning. Behemoth means super beast, mega monster. Leviathan means coiling or wrapping around. Um, I think he's referring to real animals. I think it's the hippo. Some say elephant, rhino, or a land dinosaur. It doesn't really matter. I think it's a real animal. Probably the crocodile, or the hippo. Others say Leviathan is crocodile, most likely. Some say a whale. Some say a water dinosaur. There's this whole creation scientist where they want to make these two into, uh, you know, dinosaurs. That's great. I don't care. Dinosaur is an ordinary monster, right? Mega monster, fearful, but still an animal. Mythological God, some say Behemoth represents the God of death. Others, and then Leviathan represents the seven-headed sea monster. Here's, here's what I think it comes down to. The power of death and the pride of the devil. I'm very confident that Leviathan represents the devil as the king of the pride of the sons of pride. 
Whether behemoth represents death, I don't know, because we just don't have enough information. But I am convinced that the meaning for Job comes down to this. Job, can you control the power of death? Can you conquer the pride of the devil? Now, what's this teach us? I, I took you through all that. Maybe I shouldn't have. I, I, I showed you how to make bread. Sometimes you just want bread. But sometimes it's important to know how the bread is made. Are you with me? So I showed you where I'm coming to. But here's the point I want to leave you with this morning, and we'll have two more next week. Monster math teaches this, that nothing, nothing, let me say it one more time, nothing, in fact, I want you to say it with me, nothing, nothing we face or fear is greater than the majesty, the might, and the mercy of our God. Now, that was worth coming for this morning. I have to take you through this process so that you understand what, what Job under... See, Job, Job was lucky. He didn't have to listen to me for 45 minutes to figure this out. When, when God said, Behemoth, and he said... Rick, I'm watching you. When God said, Behemoth, and he said, Leviathan... Hang with me, Rick. You come back next week. Well, uh, Rick, that, that, that's a compliment. I take that as a, con that's a huge compliment, okay? That's a huge compliment. Uh, I would hate to think 45 minutes of me are like months on an ash heap, <laughs> scraping yourself with a pot, uh, a broken piece of pottery. But here's my point. When, when, when God throws out Behemoth and Leviathan, God knows, here's, here's what Job is thinking. Wow, hippos and crocodiles in, in Job's day were fearsome. That's why they were worshipped as God, because they were powerful and they inflicted death. But he also knew, and he used the terminology, that these fearsome animals and the power of life and death, there's demonic forces, and he understood that there was some sort of evil one, adversary and accuser, so here's the point. Nothing we face or fear is greater, whether it's animal monsters, whether it's mythological gods, whether it's more metaphorical evil. Here's monster math. Whatever it is, it's less than God. It's less than God. So who should you fear this morning? Why, if you know that God, if, that, if Yahweh is your God, if the Lord Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, then whatever monster is hiding underneath your bed, whatever is in your closet that you're afraid of, whatever evil is lurking underneath your anxieties, God is greater. Therefore, when the monsters are unleashed, do not question God. Do not isolate from God's people. Do not forsake the summer in the Psalms. Do not think God is being unfair. Do not question God's compassion because He is greater. He is greater in might and mercy and majesty. And if you don't trust Him, then what you're saying is, I can handle all of this on my own, thank you. I understand better how to manage this than you do, God. And so I'm going to go and fight my monsters on my own. Don't do it.
Don't do it. Now, we close with this. Google is a, is a good friend to sermon illustrations. And so when I go looking for diagrams and ideas, I Googled, just for the heck of it, mega monsters. Do you understand that uh, Mega Monsters is a video game. It filled up, the whole search was a video game about Mega Monsters who are treated as gods, and we're training a generation of young people to think that these, this evil is something, is a game that I can control. See, these themes are still out there. Google Super Beast. It is scary what comes up. Hardcore, demonic rock bands and songs that are filled with demonic themes. You Google Leviathan and there are books and movies and short films and art all filled with these images. You see, these are a living reality in our day. Now, I'm not saying all video games are bad or if your kid plays Mega Monster, he's a demon worshiper. I'm not saying all that, but I'm saying these These ideas are not old, dusty ideas. They are living realities that are metaphors for demonic worship and for the devil. And listen, he has new ways of introducing these ideas into our life. And some of it, and a lot of it, is music and video. So there you are. Nothing you face. Monster math, it's simple but perplexing, right? But the bottom line is this. Whatever you fear, God is greater. We're going to have two more lessons from Monster Math next week. Are you, are you with me? And it gets better. So, Rick, it gets better. And it won't be like months on the ash heap. We're coming to the end. All right? Hold that thought. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that though sometimes the Bible is confusing and we're not always exactly sure of what you're teaching in it when we read it, that if we'll do diligent study... We can come to conclusions. Lord, the bottom line is you're just greater than our fears. You're greater than our anxieties. And I pray for everyone here right now, including myself, then that when our worst nightmare becomes a living reality, that we'll understand whatever that's scaring the bejeebies out of us, you're greater. You're greater. And next week we're going to see just how much greater you are. But for now, Lord, nothing we face should we fear more than we fear you. And you are one who is compassionate and mercy. You're our Savior, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. May we go forth this week with a greater confidence and a greater hope. And may we persevere in spite of the fear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.